0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices Welcome to Lucy's, well, I was going to say week, but it isn't, is it? Um, I've been a bit lax owing to a little bit of the old COVID-19 action at this end, so it's the last three weeks in Ambridge. Um, We began it with Fallon hunting for a scratch card we'd all forgotten about. This raised many, many more questions about the memory of a two-year-old and general chronology and time itself than I suspect will ever be answered. So let's just skip the ridiculousness of it and go with it. Did any of us think that Jazza would ever not do the decent thing? No. Do we now suspect that Jazza will milk this for all he is worth? Yes. His reward for being a decent bloke is for him and his putative girlfriend, Jade, to have dinner in the car park out the back of the tea rooms in what Bridge Farm has the cheek to refer to as their orchard, the one they forgot they had. Oh, it could be dead romantic. Goats eating the paper napkins, Emma schlepping about in her rug boots putting the bins out, pigeons crapping on them from the trees above, and the subtle bouquet of the bridge-farm bed sewage system drifting toward them on the evening breeze. Losing the scratch card somehow segued into a discussion of Fallon's unwillingness to have children and the subsequent paint-by-numbers differentiation between harassment's reaction – calm, reasoned, understanding – And Chris's, what I want to happen is what is happening, la 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 la, reaction to Alice's impending bun in the oven. Hats off to everyone, by the way, that got fetal alcohol syndrome in their BBC press office cause of the month bingo. You win a bottle of fetal alcohol. For those of you who'd got sepsis, that was last year. Keep up, and also you might want to get that looked at. Ben seems to have taken on the cake mantle from Hootie a cake mantle. That'd be ridiculous. All sticky. Anyway, he was wanging on about fluffy sponges and jam and then realised he was standing on the treasure of the Sierra Madre. Jill, who, as Ruth said, understating wildly, gets a bit carried away, had imagined a field full of terracotta soldiers before Ben had got back to the house and rung up a girl he fancied to come over with a wheelbarrow and a pastry brush and fiddle about before announcing that the field was filled with two Anglo-Saxon coins. Fallon wanted to thank Alish for listening to her, so she gave her an old dress she'd found down the back of the chest of drawers. Alish was suitably enthusiastic, so Fallon thought she'd invite her out for a drink. Because that's what you do when someone who is suddenly your best mate turns out to be a pregnant alcoholic. Ruth was harrowing. Say that again. Alish admitted that she'd broken the drinking pact. Only once. Who were you with? asked Chris. Oddbins, she said. Susan went on Radio Gobshite and announced that Alice is with child. This meant not only was Jenny Darling listening to Radio Borchester unbelievably again, but she nearly totaled the murk while listening and roared over to Ambridge View to knock Susan's teeth out and ended up sobbing on the sofa while Susan pretended to care and used it as an opportunity to keep reminding Jenny Darling that we're a family more now than ever. It was like misery. She'll have Jenny Darling tied to the bed, sledgehammering her leg any minute now. However, once Jenny Darling had stopped feeling sorry for herself, with her customary, empathic, maternal instinct, she decided that this pregnancy was the one she'd back away from and not interfere with. Brilliant. The only one in which her involvement would actually be useful. Mince, Casey's a sucker for punishment isn't he? You'd honestly think that given the chance to shuffle away from a wedding held in a rat infested barn with chopped up fish fingers as canapes, he'd take the money and run. But no, old Mr Meats is going to hang in there, as apparently my Stephanie, who's an Instagram influencer, which for those who don't know are people who spend their time online trying to blag free Prosecco from Lidl, has always dreamed of a country wedding. I bet she hasn't dreamed of a country wedding like the one she would get at Brookfield. Busted by the police halfway through, an illegal gin distiller being evicted kicking and screaming and Tony Robinson digging up the floor. Anyway, Mintz soon moved on from the joining of hands to the joining of other body parts, having spotted Lizzie at Brooker's. She was a bit snooty with him, which he loved, saying that Lower Loxley was more of a wow venue, or more of a wow venue in Nigel's case. Sorry, I made myself laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth went off for a session called mediation in the workplace. Elizabeth's idea of mediation is to shag her under-manager over the photocopier, so I'm not quite sure what she was hoping to get out of it, apart from a bit of giggly flirting with the man of mints. Freddie and Lily, charmers that they are, were horrified that their dear mamma was interested in getting back out there at all, and even more so that the person who might be floating her boat was an abattoir owner with an accent thicker than Johnny. Freddie tried to put Vince down by talking about Nigel. You'll find his influence all over Lower Locksley, Mr Casey, particularly the Terrace. In between all this, there was a lot of Halloween chat. I wonder what tier Ambridge is in. I thought Halloween was all off. Anyway, the spectre of Russ raised its scary head. He wants to do a sort of installation, and Lily was thrilled. It's about the most disturbing thing being what's inside you, she said. In your case, that's Russ. Kate came round and made Alice drink polyphenols until she was sick. She'd bought two smoothies one called Light of My Life, which was full of baby's brains, and one called Distraction, which I think Kate said helped her friend stop weeing. Well, after five children, that's no small feat. Alice fessed up about her Barney with Emma. Kate was predictably entirely team Alice, saying that she disliked Emma ever since she'd heard her asking Peggy for money. Quite right too. It's been months since we've heard Kate whining to Brian about wanting more money, so if she can break herself of the habit, surely Emma can. There was an extremely uncomfortable chat between Alistair and Gav. Set up by poor Krusty, who, as I said before, is going to be bloody furious when she finds out what a mug she's been taken for. Oddly though, Gavin seemed to gain some genuine solace from Alistair. Growing up, your dad is Superman, he said to Alistair. Well, easy mistake to make in your case, Gaff, bearing in mind your dad appears to live on another planet and no one knows his real identity. Gavin then had a bit of a row with his dad about how hard his childhood had been and for a minute there I thought the archers was going to make a direct link between snoring and slave trafficking but we got smoothly over that bit and Philip said how much he enjoyed sleeping outside. Well, that is a shame, Philip, because if there's going to be any justice in the world you are going to be inside for a nice long time. The rewilding stooge is back. No further on, obviously. They were celebrating something and I listened twice and I still couldn't figure out what had happened but that's probably because I don't really care. There are only two Stooges now as Phoebe wandered off pre-lockdown. Probably got shut in somewhere. They've put signs up asking people to check their garages but no luck yet. She'll turn up. Pip was hoping for a night in the pub but that was kiboshed by a phone call. Over the noise of screaming, Rosie asked Pip if she could come and get Toby out of the cereal aisle where he was throwing a wobbly because she wouldn't let him have chocolate ding-dongs as they make him so overexcited he wheeze when he laughs. But the best bit of the three weeks, for me anyway, was when Emma called Alice out on her manipulation. She wasn't fair, but my God was she firm. And she was spot on. It was like listening to a really, really brutal AA meeting. There's a saying in AA that if an alcoholic goes to a wedding, she wants to be the bride and if she goes to a funeral, she wants to be the corpse, and that is certainly true about Alice. She was absolutely saying you can't be mean to me, not because I'm sorry about being vile to you, but because of my child. I mean, as a sponsor, Emma is, admittedly, unusual in her approach, but if she shouted down the phone at me like she did at Alice, I'd be on the slimline tonic in no time. Thing is with Alice, she is her father's daughter. He's done what he likes, always. And there has always been someone there to mop up his mistakes, usually Jenny. None of the Aldridge children have ever been allowed to just stuff up massively and deal with it and survive like the rest of us. They've been insulated against it. Emma's had no insulation. She's like an unlagged boiler in February. She just grits her teeth and she gets on with it. Alice, if you have any sense, listen to Emma. She hates you but she might be the best friend you could have. The end. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus,